You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Good morning. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here. Glad you could be here. Hey, take your Bibles, if you will, and open up to Nehemiah chapter 5. We've been studying through the Bible book of Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, our wonderful ushers are getting those Bibles together. and They're walking down the aisle. If you want to borrow one, uh, please feel free to raise your hands. Hey, get the ushers' attention. They'd be happy to, to do that. And as uh, they're walking down the aisle, go ahead and take out your worship um, encyclopedia. <laughs> It's a, there's a lot in here today, and I'll walk through some with you. Um, we'll explain more later. Uh, one is there's a uh, nomination for elders in there. So go ahead and um, fill that out if you want to nominate somebody. But do look at the categories there, and we'll explain more when we come to announcement time. Also, there's a connection card in there. That is, uh, we love to pray for you. And so you can put a name on there, and then a prayer request we can pray for you about. Again, if it's confidential, you just mark the box and doesn't only goes to the pastors and elders. I encourage you, we'll tell you more about that later too. There's a faith promise brochure. We're going to tell you about that, announcements. And then along with that, there's a faith promise pledge card. I'll talk about that a little bit later. And then there's a loaf of uh, banana bread in there. I, I, I don't know why everything looks like food to me. But uh, it's really a stone, and, uh, and uh, Lance will tell you more about that later. But take out your outline that's in there. That's the one thing that's important right now. They're all important, but for right now, take out the outline. In the, uh, there's some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. And then uh, uh, I'll also give out a bunch of other verses. Some are not on this list, I just realized, but uh, we usually have a, uh, or we do, almost every Sunday we have a study guide. This study guide is, uh, it works with uh, our life groups. They... Uh, um, meet around these things and ask these questions. And uh, if you're not involved in life group, I encourage you to do, do so. We have a life group that meets on here that's open to anybody. It's at uh, 7 o'clock on Tuesdays. And love to have you come to that and, and enjoy some time with us. But the questions, study questions are on that. You can do for personal study too. But on the back of this sheet are the answers to all the fill in the blank and those extra verses. Now, you're going to hear uh, some interesting sounds today as we're, uh, something happened to our microphones or at least something happened to my microphone. I don't think it's my voice, but there may be a little bit of feedback. So just the sound crew knowing it, and they're trying to adjust me as I speak. So if I, get, if I all of a sudden start to fade out or something like that, you'll know it's not just me. It, it could be me, but, but they're, they're trying to work on that sound thing, and, and, and Nathan is, Maloney's working hard on that, and I know that he's trying to get it all together. And it, it, sounded, it sounded pretty decent so far. Yeah, good. So as long as we stay together in that. But we're looking in the Bible book of Nehemiah, and I love this story. It's a true story. It's actually an event of history that happened. But what's great about this story is the, is the personal application that there is to this. Now, I've been uh, reading this, uh, read this book many times, but, but came back to it, reading it devotionally, not only for my study, but also devotionally, just spending some time uh, going through this. And God has really ministered to me through this book, and I hope he has with you as well, because there's many personal applications as we walk through this. Like, we've been looking at uh, Nehemiah, now we're on chapter 5, but Nehemiah was called to a mission of revival. Uh, um, God's people, uh, the, the children of Israel, uh, were to set us, be set aside. God has set them aside to be His people, and He was going to, you know, have them learn about Him, and then he, then they're going to use it to tell the world about God and and about His way of salvation and all of that. But but Israel decided not to go God's direction, 
and lots of not so great things happened with them. And one of them is they were taken off into exile. In other words, another country enveloped them and just swept them away, Babylon, and took them into captivity. And they were treated very, very poorly. Uh, They were under great oppression, even greater than that in Egypt when they were in Egypt a long time ago. But that's been kind of Israel's history. They they just don't seem to follow God that well. And then things happen and then they, you know, then they get back with God and then that's living right. And same with us. We're just like that. But but uh, Israel was in captivity, and finally God let them release them from that. Ezra took over and went them, had them build a, the temple back in Jerusalem so they would get back to worshiping God. And they were. And they, and, but it, it just didn't seem to be connected. Uh, there wasn't that sense of, ah, closeness to God that they had once felt. And because a lot of that was the nation was all scattered, and they wanted to bring God's people together. And so to do that, they needed to fortify a city. And so they knew they needed to build the walls of the city. And so God put a mission on Nehemiah's heart to go back and to help build the walls of the city. It wasn't, the mission wasn't just the walls. The mission was revival, getting people back uh, on their relationship with God. And so the same way with us is that God, like, like God called Nehemiah to a mission, God's called us to a mission. Each one of us, not, not just the person next to you, but you. God has called you, and all over Scripture, now these aren't in the notes or anywhere, these are for free verses I'm going to give you right now, but, but, but you know them, many of you know them, uh, uh, Matthew 28, 19, 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that's all of us, we're to go and to tell people about Jesus and encourage them on their faith, that's our calling, um, Mark 16, 15, go and preach the gospel, go and tell people about Jesus, that's what we're supposed to do, Acts 1, 8, go and be witnesses of all that God has done in your life, go tell other people. That's our mission, and God has called us on a mission to help revive the world around us. Like I said, not just the person next to you, but you. You have been called. Each one of you have been called. And so we're, 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 we're to be called just like that. And, and, and Nehemiah, as we go through the story, Nehemiah knew that prayer was vital in the same way it is with us. First Thessalonians 5.17, very short verse. It just says, pray without ceasing that we are to continue to pray, always be in a heart and mind of prayer, seeking to to connect with God because in that connection with God, we're transformed. So we're to pray. We're to always pray, to be about prayer everywhere we go. It's a a direct application for us in our daily life. Not only that, uh, Nehemiah's mission involved service on God's purpose is not his own. Uh, Nehemiah went because God had called him. And actually, what's interesting, and, and uh, Pastor Ron Jackson talked about this a few weeks ago, but, but Nehemiah, here he was a cupbearer to the king, and now he's going to be a construction worker. So from chef to construction worker, woo, that's a big difference in occupation. I guess, you know, if you building a cake is like building a brick wall, I don't know. But, but, but it, it's, it's, uh, he had to even go outside of his own comfort zone to serve God. And sometimes we're required the same thing, that we're to move out of God's comfort zone to be able to be used of God and to, be, to use our gifts and abilities for him. And so it's, a, it's very applicable to us. Just like Nehemiah was to serve, we're to serve. We're to find our places of ministry of service. Whether it's, uh, I, I, see, I see Dave Austin out there, whether it's a service of ministry through TITIP, you know, at the Holy Grill. If you want to have a bar, be involved in a barbecue ministry, awesomely, I mean, wonderfully, how, how awesome is that to have a barbecue ministry? And of course, you have to sample what, what we call quality control, right, Dave? And uh, what a great opportunity to be able to use your gifts and abilities in barbecuing to be able to minister to people. And really, we minister to uh, um, over a thousand people a year through all the different meals that Dave and his team be involved in. If you ever want to be involved in an active ministry, 
uh, find Dave. Dave, just raise your hand there. Dave Austin over there. And, uh, and Dave, really appreciate all the work that you're doing in, in the ministry there, the Holy Grill, and just appreciate what you're doing there. But yeah, you can give him a hand. It, it's a... Um, but God has called us to service, and we're to be about serving. And I love Dave's heart because he always talks about, I just want to serve the Lord. I'm serving the Lord as he feeds his precious lambs. It's a phrase that Dave always says, and, and we're to be involved in service. Nehemiah was involved in service. We need to be involved in service. Nehemiah faced opposition from bullies, and we will too. But we're to strap on courage as God's chosen people and forge forward despite the opposition. Well, Nehemiah also faced relationship issues from within infighting, people getting hurt by others, and we face relationship issues too. See, because God's mission includes people, there will be relationship issues, conflicts, tiffs, disagreements, abuses, hurtful words, hurtful actions. And you know what? It's not always somebody else's fault. We make mistakes. We act out. We have bad habits and past hurts that affect our relationship. The truth is, We have baggage. Isn't that true? All of us have baggage. Every single one of us have baggage. And, 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 And what's in that baggage is all part of our makeup of life. I mean, what's for sure in that baggage is our sin nature. Each one of us have been have been given, not given, we've been born with a sin nature. Well, I guess we're given it. Uh, um, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin nature, whoo, man, it messes us up. We want to lie, cheat, steal, and not be honest. I mean, it's, it, it just, it just kind of pulls us in a, in a very wrong direction constantly. That's why a lot of reason we have relationship issues. But there's also personal stuff that's in that, that baggage. Like, for instance, birth order. How many of you are the, the, the last born, the, like the, the youngest? Yeah, we are the nice people in the family. We're usually the kindest and the most sweetest people. And then how many of you are middle children? Yeah, you're emotionally up and down and all that. And then how many of you are the oldest born? Yeah, you think you're always right. Yeah, we know you. (laughs) Birth order is one of those things that's in our baggage. And we we tend to uh, 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 sway ourselves one direction or another because of birth order, but also the different things that have happened in our life or our our own conditions. I mean, I have a, a learning disability called dyslexia. And and that affects me and affects my relationships. It, it, just, it just does because of who I am and how I learn and some of the things like that. And, and the way it is, it, it, it does that. Uh, some of the others have d- different other uh, things that are happening to you. And, and, and also you're a product of your past. And so uh, you know, I was born and grew up in an uh, um, uh, alcoholic family. And so that affects my relationships. It, I, I have certain nuances that get pulled me one way because of being involved in that family and an abuse of a family and, and the things I went through with my parents and, and all of that. It, it, it affects me and affects my relationships. And same with it coming from a divorced family. It affects my relationships. So all of that is part of our baggage. And we, and we pick up our bags. I like this one. This is you know, one of my favorite. You know, we, we pick up our bags and we walk into a relationship and we set them down. And a lot of times we open them up. Most of the time we open them up. And then they begin to, to affect our relationships in that. And that's what happens. It, and it happens in every relationship, whether we're serving in the church or we're at work or at home or, or all over the place. It affects us. It affects us. It also affected Nehemiah's relationships with those people in Jerusalem. 
See, when we step up to serve God and be about God's will, God's vision, it puts a, a, another strain on relationships, whether at home, with the kids. We, the struggle is taxing as we add this balance into our life. Uh, the juggle is sometimes overwhelming. You know, I think of some of our uh, children's ministry workers. Uh, some of them have been here since this church started, and, and, uh, and yet they remain, uh, you know, 29. I, I don't know how that happens, but they never age. <laughs> and yet they've been serving and working and they've, they've, they've had to work in the juggle of working involved in our children's ministry. And so they've, they've added that into the mix of their life so they can juggle that in and, and to keep that. And that's what God wants us to do, to juggle that in. But it has put a strain on us because sometimes it's tough to each Wednesday to, to be here, each Sunday to, to get the lesson together and do that. But we need to, God wants us to create a new balance of life that includes his mission, his purposes, and we are to be involved in that, involved in service. Here are just a few verses on this. You can look them up later mostly, but let me just go over them quickly. Is it 1 Peter 4.10, that, that God uses our God-given abilities, and we're to use them. We're to find out what they are to put them into practice. Not only that, uh, Isaiah 58.10 says that we're to help the hurting. And if there's one thing Christian people ought to do and the church ought to do is to help hurting people. I mean, one of Jesus' major uh, qualities was his love for other people. And if Jesus loves people, we ought to be like Jesus. Remember, our name is called Christian, like Christ, little Christ, literally. If we're to be like him, then we should demonstrate that idea of helping hurting people, Right? It makes sense. So that should be part of what we do as, as, as we serve the Lord. Romans 12, 9 through 13 says that we're to, to continue that idea of love and to serve and to uh, uh, not to be served, but to serve. And then as Ephesians 2, 10 says that we were created for good works. If God created us for something, then we ought to do that something. He's created us for good works. Therefore, we should figure out how and what the good works he wants us to do to do. And then as, 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 uh, as, as Mark 10, 45 says, that we're to be like Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We're to be about God's mission with others. And it's tough because we all have baggage. <laughs> and because we all have baggage, relationships are tough and we struggle in relationships. So how do we work through them? And how can we be revived? How can there be revival where we are being recharged and reignited in our faith in Jesus despite our baggage, despite the relationship issues. Well, Nehemiah gives us a fourfold process to be revived through repaired relationships. So let's discover that together this morning and, and how we might be a helpful part of the process, this fourfold process. So before we do that, if you wouldn't mind setting your books aside, just stand up and let's ask God to, to be with us and his Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. Father God, thank you for just the reality that you are very present with us. Um, you're not a distant deity. You're very present, an awesome, wonderful God that loves us completely and are very present with us. And you want us to grow. You want us to walk even through with our baggage and, and, and be able to deal with that so that we can have good and right relationships. And those relationships will be ones that spur us on and encourage us and help us be and sharpen us and help us be the, the people you want us to be. And so God... Help us this morning as we look at Nehemiah's story and see how he um, worked through relationship issues even among the children of Israel at that time as they were doing this great work of building the wall. Help us in that, God. Challenge us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and keep out your notes. Always good to take some notes. And again, pick up that study guide as we walk through this. But 
a fourfold process to be revived through repaired relationships. And so let's look in on Nehemiah chapter 5. Hopefully you're already there. Uh, but chapter 5, verse, the first part is verses 1 to 6. Listen to what um, is happening here. Now we're not sure um, if the wall was built at this time. Some say it might have been already built and they were just putting the finishing touches on this. Or some say it was just about to be finished. But nonetheless, this happens. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So there was an issue, an issue among the people there. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. In other words, they were struggling because they were so much, they were so, spent so much time working on the wall doing God's work there. They didn't have time to go into the fields to prepare the grain to feed their families. It gets, there's a lot more things that were happening here. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. There was a famine in the land and, and they couldn't feed their families so they had to mortgage their fields and so forth. There were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our fields and our vineyards. Now, our flesh is the flesh of our brothers. We're just like you, you people and, and all those around us and our children are their children. And yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters into, in, to be slaves. And some are, our daughters are already been in slaves, but it is not in our power to help it for other men have our fields and our vineyards. Nehemiah writes and says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry of these words. You see, these people were feverishly laboring on the wall. They couldn't harvest grain and feed their families. And so they went into debt. Uh, they needed to borrow money to buy grain. But it wasn't just that they were borrowing money to buy grain. People were actually uh, charging more than what they should have. And they were uh, um, oppressing and exploiting their fellow countrymen, which Jewish law said you cannot do that. You cannot charge interest. And so they were not even following God's law. They were exploiting and oppressed by their fellow countrymen. And so they cried out. Verse 1 and verse 6, it says they cried out. That actually wording is the same wording used back in, in the Exodus when uh, uh, the children of Israel were crying out because of the oppression back in Egypt. So here it is, the same kind of oppression. They're being pushed down and, and pushed down by others. And that's an awful thing to do. Sometimes we, we stand and push others down so we can get ahead. And that's the, one of the worst part of our human nature, our sin nature, is we tend to push others down. And, we, and not only that, we exploit them for our own gain. Instead of being generous and helping other people up, we want to push them down and step on top of them to get where we want to go. The the ugliness of humanity is like that, and you see it all over our world, of people pushing people down to get ahead and exploiting others. And Nehemiah, you know, these people complained, and Nehemiah could have just brushed it off, thinking that they were just being petty, or you figured out it's your own problem, or pushing them to work harder or, or further exploiting them and maybe even through manipulation and guilt. But no, he's sensitive and attentive, feeling their pain. And one key thing is he listened. Too much these days, we, we don't listen. And we're not sensitive and we're not attentive. We may want to be but we're so busy and stressed with our own life and, our, and dealing with our own baggage, we just can't hear. Our sensitivity and attention is more on us, not on others. But yet we're encouraged all over Scripture, especially Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you 
look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. See, we are to practice the discipline of being in community. So much so we think my need is paramount and I should only think about just me. But yet God tells us, pull your eyes outward and look at other people and care about them. Think about other people. Think about their needs. Be attentive and sensitive to others. How's that person going to react when you say that? How's that person going to think when you do that? We're to be sensitive and attentive as we go along. And that, and that happens when we're in community. Being in community, that's the connection to others, that is where we help foster relationships. It helps us be, be more sensitive and attentive. It's like in our, in our uh, life groups where we share our stories and pray for each other. See, we, and that's why we encourage life groups, because we want to put us, ourselves in relationship with others. I know in our life group, as we've shared time together and spent time when we've prayed together and had tears together, we become more sensitive as we hear other people's story and hear the things that they're going through and the struggles they face and, the, and even the excitement that they face and all of that, we're, we're relating to each other. And so we need to be in with each other. We need each other to watch our back and to help us be sensitive. And that's why the Ecclesiastes chapter four talks about two were better than one. Because we can help each other. And God never intended us to be, all of us to be solo lone wolves. And even those who think they are, you still need to be connected. We need friends to exhort us because the truth is, we have blind spots. We don't always know some of the difficult things that we do. <laughs> we don't even know sometimes if we have bad breath. <laughs> we, we pray and thanks for that friend who goes, hey, you need a mint? <laughs> like the person sitting next to you. Now you're all wondering. <laughs> but see, how we, re- we are revived through repaired relationship is to be sensitive, to be attentive, listening to the issues that come up as we are in community. It's hard to do that when you're not in community. You know, Ecclesiastes 4 talks about, woe to the one who falls alone because there's no one there to pick him up. That's why we want to connect ourselves to other people so we know when somebody is, met, is, is struggling or dealing with some difficulty things. And that's we need to be sensitive and attentive to that. Then we're to be responsible and honest. Let's keep looking at uh, Nehemiah chapter seven, or chapter five, verse seven now. Verse six, Nehemiah says, I'm very angry when I heard their outcry of these words. And so this is what he did, verse seven. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials and I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother, which again was against Jewish law. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold into the nations. But, but you are even selling your brothers that they may be sold to us. In other words, you're, you're doing just the same thing of those when you were in captivity. You're lording over them. It, it's like they're sold into slavery again. Now to you. Because now you have this debt over their head. And so they, 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 they um, started making excuses and they, they started yelling at Nehemiah. And No, it's not what it says. It says this. They were silent and could not find a word to say. They were silent because they realized and they were honest. They were honest with themselves when they were confronted. They realized, boy, he's right. I, I've been abusing my brothers. 
I haven't been right. See, it's being responsible and honest. That's what brings about repaired relationships and revival in that. Verse nine, Nehemiah goes on and says, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk, and underline this in your Bible, in the fear of our God, to, present, to prevent the taunts of the nations of, the, of the nations of our enemies. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interests. See, Nehemiah was incensed and, and takes responsibility and honestly confronts the issue. Much like Jesus taught in confrontation in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And, and if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Now, I encourage you to write down all of Matthew 18, or Matthew 18, 15 to 17 in particular, but I encourage you to read all of the chapter because that part about forgiveness is down in there. And that's so vital as we go and talk to people and confront the issues that we deal with because we need to be honest. We need to be open. And Nehemiah was honest that he contributed to in, in Nehemiah 5.10. He realized, you know, I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to get interest in the money that I'm lending. And he realized that's not good either. I blew it. Jesus taught him that same thing. In, in, in Matthew 7, verse 6, he says, why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? And that full passage from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, talk about that principle that, you know, it's, it's so easy to go, yeah, you're this, you're that, you that, and not look at the big old log that's in your eye, the, your own baggage that's causing you to see something totally different. Instead, take the log out of your own eye, look inward first. Be honest with God yourself. Boy, take one big hard look in the mirror before you go confront somebody else and take responsibility of that. That requires we're responsible and honest to Jesus and his word. And that means we hold Jesus and his word as a high priority, the highest influence of life. And that's what Nehemiah meant in verse nine when he said, you ought, not to walk, ought you not to walk in the fear of our God. That fear of the Lord, that reverent respect of God that says that I hold God as the highest influence in my life. That I'm gonna follow him. Whatever he says, I'm gonna do. When you fear God, when you have a reverent respect of God, you, you put it to a whole new level. It's not just I respect him. I, whoa, respect him. Because he is the highest authority of life. Now the big question is, is he really? Who really is the highest authority? Who do you really fear in life? Some of you fear not being accepted. Some of you fear what your, your boss is going to say. Some of you fear what your mate's going to say. Some of you fear what your friends are going to say. You fear them more than God. Because you'll change for them. But when God says something, you go, well, you know, it's only a suggestion. <laughs> but to fear the Lord is to have that reverent respect of him where we actually are obedient we show our devotion and we surrender to his will, not our own. It's a choice. It shaped Nehemiah. So much so that he was willing to say, wow, I'm at fault here. I made a mistake. It's a habit of learning and applying. 
It's taking in God's word, like you're sitting in a sermon today or, or other times that you're listening on the radio or you're, or you're, you're, you're listening to a podcast or you're, you're uh, reading the word of God yourself and you're, you're listening to that and you're taking it in and going, what is God saying of himself and what he wants me to do? And you hold that as the highest influence of your life and you say, I gotta change. I gotta, I gotta conform to what God says. That's holding him in that high reverent respect. And asking yourselves, how now shall I live? How now shall I live in my giving, in my serving, in my helping? That's how we are revived through repairing relationships as we fear the Lord and be responsible and honest to Jesus and his word. Through that choice, relationships are repaired. And then we are to pursue peace and unity. Let's move on. Nehemiah is still talking to these people that he's kind of stood up in the courtyard there and, and, and confronting them and he says this in verse 11 return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses and their percentage of the money, uh, grain wine and oil that you have exacted from them and they said we will restore these and require nothing of them we will do as you say and Nehemiah says, I'm going to call the priests and, and make you swear to do what, as you promised. I also shook out a fold of my garment and said, may God shake you out every man from his house uh, and, and from his labor who does not keep his promises so it may be shaken out and so, you, so he may be shaken out and emptied. In other words, maybe devastated. And all the assembly said, amen, which means so be it. And praise the Lord. They praised God because they saw him as who he was and they, they were reverently respecting him and people did as they promised. They didn't just recognize their wrongdoing and go, well, <laughs> yeah, sorry. They sought what would bring peace and unity. They sought to fix the issue. They sought to fix the issue so there'd be harmony and togetherness. See, no matter... Now, what, what the cause of the disunity? We should work at resolving the conflict in a, in a biblical manner. As Ephesians 4, 3 says, to be eager to maintain unity and peace. Whereas as Romans 14, verse 19 says that we're to pursue peace. The actually wording there means to run after peace. Because the truth of it, the current of our world does not move towards peace and unity. The current of our world moves toward destruction and, and calamity. Not peace, not unity. And the truth is, being passive is not adequate. In other words, it takes something of ourselves to actually initiate unity, to initiate peace. It's not going to happen on its own. And it puts some efforts into keeping unity, and that means to know the goals and purpose of the team you're on. Now, this uh, next week, the Super Bowl is going to be played. And those two teams are going to know what their goal is. I mean, it's kind of simple. It's to get the ball across the line or kick it through the uprights and to have more points on your side than the other side. But they know that game. None of those people in the, in the uh, lineup are going to get to snap the ball and going to go, huh, which way do I go? What do I do? And they're not sure where to run, where to go. They know what to do. 
In the same way, we're to know what we're doing. Everybody there in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem knew what they were doing. They had wall to build, each one building their own section of wall. They, they had instruction and, and help, and they understood the vision of what was happening. They understood the way in which they were to do it, and they knew, the, they knew what was going on. The same way we do, too. We need to know what we're in for. So we don't move it our direction, but we move it God's direction. And most ministries have a purpose, a vision. Our church has a vision. We're to live and love like Jesus as we compassionately relate to our community and beyond. That compassionately relate to community and beyond means we're missional. That means that we actually look at our community as a mission field. Just like if we were to look at how do we evangelize India, we're looking at how do we evangelize Cyprus City and all beyond. That's our vision. That's God's vision he's given to us. We're not here just to have a nice uh, cruise ship church where we all sit down on, uh, on deck chairs. I got a picture. I, I should have brought that. I should have used it today. I got a, I got a picture of, uh, of, of David Honey, our elder chair, who's sitting on a cruise on a deck chair sipping lemonade. I'll show it to you sometime. But that's not how we're supposed to. That's okay every now and then. But the church is not supposed to exist like that. We're not a cruise ship where just a few people hustle around and work and the rest of us just kind of enjoy the show. Uh, we're to be like a battleship where everybody has a station to go to and, and, and something to do along our mission. And our mission is to reach this community for Christ. There are 48,000 people in Cypress City. And if you take a, a, a five-mile radius and go right around Cypress City, there's about 500,000 people in there, and most of them don't know Jesus. But you do. And God has called you to rally together and us to rally together to teach as a church and to go out and reach them. If you take 10 miles out, there's over a million people and most of them don't know Jesus. And God is saying, you, Cypress Church, go reach out to them. That's our mission, to be missional so that all thrive as followers of Christ. In other words, they come to know Jesus and not only come to know Jesus, but get excited about Jesus and they're actually living that abundant life that Jesus came to live. In John 10, 10, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, the way it was supposed to be lived. That's our mission. That's our vision. That's what God has called us to do. And if you say, well, you know, I want to be in a church where I can just, you know, it's all about me. Well, this is not your church. <laughs> This is, there's, I mean, there's plenty of churches around here you can find that are like that. Don't you know, we're here to fluff you up and make you feel good about yourself and, you know, just enjoy the cruise ship. That's not, a, and I'm not trying to slam any other church. I'm just saying that I know they're out there, but that, that, that's it. Our church is not like that. God wants us to, on a mission, and we need to be getting on that mission. And so we need to know what that mission is. Running after peace and unity repairs relationships, and revival happens. We're going to take efforts. And much of those efforts will be about sacrifice and being generous, to be sacrificial and generous. Look at the last part of Nehemiah 5, verses 14 and 19. Let me just read a few of those verses and then comment on the rest. Nehemiah writes, Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be governor in the land of Judah, from the 12th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted allowance of the governor. The former governors who, had, who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even the servants lorded over the people. But I did not do so. Here it is again because of the fear of the Lord. And Nehemiah goes on and writes down, and goes, I, d I didn't take the, the, what was even allotted to me. 
I took it out of my own pocket and, and I, I got dirty for God. He, he didn't just sit there and bark out orders. He actually rolled up his sleeves and got on the wall and did work as well. And not only that, he, he, didn't, he didn't just serve dignitaries at his table, but he served all kinds of different people at his table. 150 men and officials, uh, they were there with me, he says, and he, he fed them out of, their, out of his own table because of the fear of the Lord. Here again is that reverent respect of God. It's knowing how great God is, that he is almighty, that he is Lord, sovereign. And to know what he's done, he's, as Christ has done, he's given the atoning sacrifice of our sin, you know, because in our baggage is that sin. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and that sin weights us down. It doesn't allow us to, to, to do all the things that, that God would want us to do, yet when we come to faith in him, we can, that's all changes. And it changes because Christ paid the ultimate penalty for us. And when he died on a cross for us, he paid the penalty that we don't have to. And how we benefit from that is to believe, to know and to believe in that. And that's what the fear of the Lord is, is to understand that. But also his great loving kindness, that's the Hebrew word hesed in the Old Testament. It speaks of that covenant love, that, that love that sticks, that love is not of anything we do. It's a love in spite of, regardless of. God loves us and he just chooses to love us. And it's understanding that the fear of the Lord is understanding that. That he is our rescuer, our restorer, our rejuvenator, our reviver. And that he is powerful and awesome and yet very personal. It's knowing God and knowing God changes us. See, we respond with a life lived in line with God's character. Now maybe the the reason there is such a struggle with self-obsession and stinginess and being unsacrificial is maybe we really don't know Jesus. Maybe we know about him. But if we have let who he is permeate our character, permeate our heart, if we really accepted and believed, then it's going to show because of that fear of the Lord, that, that awesome respect. We want to change because if he's really Lord of our life, there will be evidence. Uh, look at verse 19. It says, remember, Nehemiah is praying, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. It's not a plea for a reward or claiming that he has been so sacrificial and generous, but a, a statement of confidence that God is judge and that he looks favorably on those who sincerely seek his will. So yes, there is a blessing for embracing Jesus and living life his way. And that, that blessing is love and joy and peace and hope and purpose and direction and the blessing of being part of God's forever family. I mean, really, why would you not want to be part of that? <laughs> That's reviving. And living sacrificially and generously is a blast. See, when we reflect Christ's character, and if Christ, if any character of Christ that's most notable is his sacrifice and his generosity. I mean, look all through scripture about all the way he was that way. Most definitely the cross is the greatest example, but, but yet all throughout the different relationships of people who you related to. The woman at the well, the, the, the uh, centurion, the uh, Pharisee at night, uh, all these different ones, uh, generous and, and uh, uh, sacrificial. And there is such joy in being generous like Jesus and such joy in being sacrificial like Jesus. And it repairs relationships. 
You know, many of the, the problems that relationships face these days are because people are being stingy <laughs> and they're not being sacrificial. They're being demanding of their own things. And yet, if you want to fix a relationship, one of the best ways to start is by being generous and being sacrificial. Being those ways in that relationship will, will bring about great joy. And just like Jesus, it will create an effect. We are most like Jesus when we're generous and sacrificial. So why not try? You know, relationship issues hit all of us because we all have baggage. <laughs> that baggage and relationship issues greatly affect us. And yet, we can be revived through repairing relationships as we seek to be sensitive and attentive, responsible and honest, pursuing peace and unity and being sacrificial and generous. That's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus was sensitive and attentive. All through the Gospels, you see him that way. Not only with the 12, but people around him. Uh, Jesus was in a big crowd of people and people just wanted to get next to him. And, and there was one woman that, that, was, that had a, 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 was bleeding constantly and she, for many, many years and she couldn't get healing from all the doctors and wasted all of her money and, and just put her hope in Jesus. If he could just reach out and touch his garment, she'd be healed. And so they, in the crowd of people, she just kind of reaches her hand there and whoo, touches his garment. Bam, she feels healed. Jesus whips around and says, who touched me? And you're thinking, there's all these people around you, Jesus. Now, come on. <laughs> but he knew what had happened. And he took to her and she was embarrassed and wanted to hide. And Jesus parts the crowd and brings her out and says, my daughter. He gives her identity. He affirms her. He is attentive and he's sensitive. Jesus is responsible. He knew what he came to do. He didn't shirk his responsibility and say, I don't want to do the cross. <laughs> I'll do anything else, not the cross. No, he went to the cross willingly. He was responsible and honest, honest with us that we need a savior, honest with us about our sin, honest with us about the way we deal with things. He cut to the, to the chase with you know, Peter standing there, Lord, Lord, I don't want you to go to, to, uh, to the cross at all. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He just called Peter Satan. He was honest with him because Peter was acting just like Satan. And he was honest with them. Jesus pursued peace by not only giving us peace with God by uh, paying the penalty for our sin, but he instills in us his peace. My peace I give you, he says. It's a peace that surpasses understanding and we really recognize that as we pray. And, and he wants to bring us into a unity and he gave us the formula for that. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. The bond of love is, is a great bond of unity and, and we've seen his sacrifice and how generous he is. Nehemiah uh, dealing with relationships issues is a foreshadow of how we should live in Christ to be like Christ. For when we seek to be in him, in Christ, and like Christ, revival happens and repair and renewal come to us in our relationships. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Um, for providing such a great example with Nehemiah and, um, and how he struggled with different things. We struggle with the same things, even with relationships. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you that uh, um, you give us these steps and helps along the way. Help us, Lord, to, to work at these relationships. And, and, Lord, reveal to us areas that we can help and, and be involved in that so that we can provide that peace and unity that we need together. Thank you, Father. And bless us, we pray in your son's name. Amen.